this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yo, Easy. What's up, guys? My name is Evan Duvall. This is Easy Does It. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Say this. What were you about to say? Uh, I used to practice taking off girls' bras by putting my mom's bra around a pillow. Hell yeah, dude. I made that with my hand a lot. And then like, and then all through college, girls were like, how'd you do that so fast? I'm like, practice. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> it was good for something. Yeah. Dude, uh, did I tell you I talked to her for like two hours last night? That's crazy. In a K-hole or two nights ago? <laughs> you were in a K-hole talking to your mom? That's the only way I could tolerate her bullshit. That's incredible. <laughs> that was, dude, that was the longest I've talked to her in like fucking uh, 10 years. Yeah. And it was a good conversation. She was very receptive. <laughs> I was telling her to like stop talking because I was still talking. <laughs> and then she was like, okay. And it was it was like a positive uh, experience. I can't imagine your K-hole ass thoughts to your mom though. So he's like, what have you been up to? Well, my mom's like super whatever is in like the mass agenda, what's in the news. Like that's what she believes. Like uh-huh. weed is bad. So I was just pretty much breaking down for her that all everything she knows is a lie. <laughs> and um, she found it very interesting. Are we recording? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're dropping straight in. You know, yeah. I think uh, it'll just be fun to just fucking just drop. Right <laughs> <in>. <laughs> I'm talking about my mom in a K-hole. <laughs> Welcome back. Wait, wait, were you recording yeah, the thing about, about my mom's bra? Yeah. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are jokes. I'm a comedian. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, do, do you feel like ketamine is like being in a computer? I get a real Windows 95 vibe from it. So the first time I did ketamine, I was with Eli and we were going to a party and I think I was already on Xanax and pretty drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, perfect time to try ketamine. And then he, I remember vaguely. I would really like to tell this story. Okay, yeah, you should Because tell I it. was sober and <laughs> yeah. I remember all of it. This whole hour is going to be drug stories. I, j- I Dude, remember we like said that we wanted to stop talking about drugs on the podcast. And then we we're like, oh, but they're so fun. <laughs> and it, every every single episode's about drugs. Yeah. It's not the message I want to put out there, but it, it's so much fun to talk about. So Mike comes over. He had this idea. He was like, I want to cook for you on drugs and, like, see how good it is. Right? And I was like, that sounds awesome. I get free food. I'm a decent cook. And, like, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, a certain part of your inhibition that gets locked away. And then when you black out, it's just gone. (laughs) So it's like, I mean, I mean, that part is true. It's just how much of that is involved in cooking. I wanted to find out. I don't know. I've done some pretty (laughs) fucked up shit high on weed. Yeah. I've made some weird concoctions. Yeah, so I wanted to see, like, well, what... I mean, I know, like, weed food is, is like, you just add peanut butter to everything. Like, That's exactly what, is- what I was thinking of. So, Mike comes over. Um, 
I had to go run an errand. So he hops in my car. We go out to the store, come back. Uh, I see a, a, a cop car behind what looks like Mike's car. And I was like, hey, is that your car? And Mike's just out of it. He's just like, I don't know. And I was like, dude, is that, give me your keys, dude. And he just hands me his keys and he's just like eyes rolling the back of his head, giggling. <laughs> so I go up and he is parked blocking off someone's driveway completely like right in front of someone's driveway <laughs> and there's like there's like so many open parking spots <laughs> and i was just like that's one <laughs> and the- i was trying to time my blackout so it hit right as i got to eli's <laughs> it's a 15 minute drive five so I was like, seconds too early per- yeah <laughs> so- <laughs> <Little> early <laughs> just a so, squinch <laughs> so i go i go to i go to move his car and the cops like Oh, you just got here just in time. A tow truck's pulling up to tow his car, and I, I just make sure to the cop that he knows. I'm like, listen, that, I'm, this is my friend's car. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> so, not that it matters, but it matters to me. <laughs> so I drive, his, I move his car forward about six feet, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I give Mike the ticket, and he's just like, oh, I don't do those. It just rips it in half. In front of the cop. No, no, no. He, okay. he was in my car still. This was all just. No, like, he would not let me be in front of a cop in that state. Mike's, Mike's pupils are the size of a half dollar. <laughs> yeah. He's just watching Eli move his car. No, I get very anti-establishment when I'm fucked up. So <laughs> he can't yeah, have so me around police at all. Put on a lot of rage, rage against the machine. And yeah, exactly. But then he yeah. comes inside and he makes the best meal ever. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Uh, it was a steak with a strawberry, uh, like. So I put cayenne pepper in strawberry jam and then reduced it and then used that to glaze a little like steak medallion and served it on like a brioche toast with Gruyere melted over the top of it to like make like a tomb around the meat. So it was I really underestimated your chef ability until <laughs> now because I didn't know what half of that shit was. <laughs> the fact that, you know, I'm proud of myself for making in no way, shape or form we associated HelloFresh. Yeah, yeah. But that shit, dude. If you want to learn how to cook just a little bit, most most of the time I'm also high, so yeah. I don't retain any of it. It's yeah. like going to class and just staring at the whiteboard, mm-hmm. you know, like. But then you get an A on like, your homework, everybody, because you yeah, get to eat the I meal. Copied from the dude next to me. <laughs> yeah, dude. But, yeah, having HelloFresh is like having a smart amazing. Asian yeah. neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> like hello, I'm cheating off of you. Thank you. The instructions are very, very simply written. Yeah. it's like a pinch. I'm like, I know what that is, dude. Yeah. I don't have to dig through <laughs> a drawer, you know, find something that's probably in the dishwasher. Yeah, it's it's definitely good training to learn how to cook if you don't know how to cook. Dude, I um. I didn't do a lot of cooking growing up. My uh, So I started off poor, and then my dad started making a lot of money around the time I was like eight or nine. And then until I was 18, he was uh, a millionaire. And we lived in a very wealthy area, so we went out to eat every single night. Yeah. So like ingrained in like my most formative years of like when you're choosing what you want to eat, it's like, where do you want to go tonight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we were regulars at every restaurant. Yeah. So. It was uh, yeah. I started cooking because I realized how much money I was saving. So yeah. so then your inspiration to start cooking. Oh, but was I uh, I went with uh, I was twenty two, and me and a buddy went to go work for Cutco, the knife uh, like direct sales company. Okay. 
and we started a salesman yeah a so, knife salesman no was that was like walking up to people selling knives i could never do it door to i like actually immediately saw through it and was like i don't want to bother all of my parents friends like i'll, I'll get to the rich ones and sell them knives and then i'll just work in management because then i can just tell people you to get do pepper spread it. never i've never been i'm look at me come on <laughs> holding the knife when they answer the door <laughs> yeah. want it <laughs> i bet i could still get away with it i'm a pretty like friendly dude like pretty disarming so we started off in like a pretty decent suburb of the DFW area, and then we went to a city called Garland, Texas, which if any of your listeners know is a shithole in East Dallas. And we started a knife sales company there in like an office, and I had uh, like so many awesome people come through. There was a girl whose name was Mi Precious, M-I-Postrophe Precious. It was just like the only black guy I was a Lord of Rings fan was her dad. Yeah, you know? it was like that's <laughs> that's cool. We had a girl named Javadka, J A Vodka, and like so I'm inter- I'm the interviewing manager and like she comes in and I'm I'm going through her interview and she's like 32 years old, has no work history and I'm like, so Javadka, let, let tell me a little bit about yourself. And she goes, it's funny I only drink the Henny dough. <laughs> 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 well, you're hired. I don't, I don't need to know anything else I'm about you. I'm pretty sure she was in the Navy, dude. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure I met her on the boat. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so there wasn't anything, like, like porn scenarios, but I did have, like, going on appointments with, like, the Javadkas. I wasn't and... taking the direction of porn scenarios. Oh, okay. that's what I was thinking. I was thinking yeah. murder scenarios. Oh, no. Yeah. No. I, just, I had a lady, though, that was uh, upset that her knives weren't staying sharp, and I was like, well, show me what you do to sharpen them, uh-huh. assuming she had, like, a shitty honing rod or something. And then she walked me out back and then picked up a specific cinder block that she just started slapping her knife on. And I was like, yeah, you dumb fucking bitch. Like, of course your knife it's doesn't work. You're out. slapping a rock with it. Like, yeah, that's very disrespectful. <laughs> you're so dumb. Talking. I used yeah. to do door-to-door solar panel sales. Ooh. You did? Yeah, wow. it was uh, free housing. And I was, I've been like on and off homeless for like most of my life. So I was just like, you don't have to pay me. I get to sleep in a bed, get out of a shower. And um, yeah, I ended up getting fired like two weeks in. And the guy was like, hey, sorry about this. It's like, and I was like, no, 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 you, I'm on your side. You're right. I shouldn't have raped those kids, but I just. I, I gotta hop into an introduction <laughs> because people at this point are sitting here going, "What the what? fuck is going yeah. on?" Yeah. I'm gonna set the stage Bye. here. My bad. You know, so, <laughs> I just... so we've got Mike Eaton and Eli Halpern here. We've come a long way to get here, man. Um, but I want to get into kind of short introductions. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Uh, y'all are comedians here in Austin. Yeah. And uh, I want to get a short introduction about like how y'all came to Austin, how you got here, what brought you here, and uh, we'll move forward from there. Well, me and Mike met at an open mic. I was in Arizona. I was in Austin uh, like three years ago. Yeah. Probably four years ago now. No, it's three. Damn. Yeah. Feels long. It was a little over three, but like three years and some change. Whatever. Yeah. So we were at an open mic. Um, Not too I, far I, from here. Yeah. I signed up as Octavius Thunder. Yeah. 
which is I and I, I at the time I hosting the open mic. No, I've been doing comedy like six months, and I've been like grinding in the Austin scene, and so I know most of the names that I see at open mics because I've been to all of them multiple times, and then I see that someone has signed up named Octavius Thunder. I'm like, who the fuck is you know using a stupid stage name tonight? Yeah, I'll stick around to watch, and then I see this goofball go up, and he's in like these shorts with bananas on them. And like he starts off with, I, I think what, still one of my favorite jokes of his, like, how come my mom says all my friends are handsome, but only, or mom says I'm handsome, but only fucks all my friends. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's such a good joke when you don't botch it. But uh, <laughs> I saw him and then we, I mean, we became fast friends. Yeah. Well, that. at the, there's a lot of little riffing circles that go on in comedy, which is one of my favorite parts of comedy. When sure. you're just in a circle, you don't even have to know each other that well. And you're just shooting the shit back and forth. And it got to a point where, me and Mike were pretty much dominating the entire conversation. People would try to chime in, and it would just be lulls. And then me and Mike were just going back and forth. And then after that, Mike's like, hey, you want to go party? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you want to do cocaine? I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then we went out and proceeded to get hammered. Well, so I remember distinctly like thinking, like, this guy is amazing, but he's so intense. Like, how do I get him to turn down a notch? So... <laughs> we go into Coyote Ugly on yeah. Dirty Sixth. Yeah. And said so body shots. At, yeah. So I went up to down. the two bartenders. I didn't know what it was. And I was like, hey, uh, can you just abuse this man? And I gave them like $50. <laughs> and so then Eli comes up and he sees two attractive women. They're like, hey. And he's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and then he goes up and then they're just so mean and slapping him and squirting limes on his he face. Walks away. He's like, fuck they write no. like cum slut on his back and Sharpie yeah. and, and, and like all this stuff. So they do all that. And then he walks over to me and he goes, I did not like that at all. And I was like, yeah, man, I just needed you to take it down. And he goes, oh, fair. <laughs> and we fist bump and we walk outside. And this was the moment I knew we were going to be best friends forever. So we are 10 steps on to Dirty Six, which is just a disgusting shithole. This is pre-pandemic, too, when people were really just out there with no yeah. concern for bodily fluids or anything. And it's just this dirty swamp street, and Eli sees a single shoe sitting in the intersection about 50 yards away. And he goes, ah, oh, free shoe! And then sprints full speed, gets over to it, picks it up, takes a huge whiff with his nose, just fucking... <laughs> Oh, it's no good. And then throws it away and then runs back. And I'm like, what in the autism was that? Like, he's awesome. Uh, I'm taking notes over here. Dude. Yeah, but that's that's how we met. And then we connected and we both were out in L.A. for a while doing comedy there. And then with the pandemic, he moved back here. And then I got married and moved back here. And then we both were like, hey, let's like, you know. Let's link up. Let's link up, do yeah. a podcast, fucking do some comedy shit, and it's yeah. the rest has been. History. We just realized like our chemistry is our comedic chemistry is like undeniable. You like you go, you can watch Giggle Boys, yeah. and that's just how we are all the time. Yeah. Like we don't our preparation is just showing up. Yeah, just, we well, usually have a few oh, the things. Mics are on. Yeah, yeah. Let's just shoot the shit. I love it, man. Um, <clears throat> that's crazy that Eli and I, or both of us, met. You know, via cocaine. Uh, <laughs> Eli told this story once uh -huh. um, in here after a show where there was supposed to be no stand-up comedy after. Yeah, I don't remember and this. Eli was okay, like, cool. I was gonna say, is this Eli the one? Eli was like, "Hey, can I do five minutes? <laughs> five, five minutes turned into twelve. And he told the sto whole story of how we met in front of my mother, so yes! perfectly." That I was just dying laughing, and I would like to go back to that moment and retell this story of how you and I met 
Dude, so this I'm is so, the day. This is the day that we got. Real quick, let me like frame this a little more because this makes me so happy. Eli told me the next day he was like, "Hey man, I blacked out and did like twelve minutes at Native and apparently did awesome." And I was like, "Did you record it?" And he's like, "I didn't even know it happened," <laughs> and I've been wanting to know what it was this entire time. I still don't have the balls to listen to it. <laughs> do you still have the file? I sent you the audio, right? Yeah. Do you still it's have it somewhere? Yeah, I gotta dig that up. I have it too somewhere. Yeah. Lol. Do you remember what it was called? I'll look back. All right. Yeah. Well, sorry. Sounds four. So, <laughs> so I. This is the day that we had the meeting with Ross and got signed to the or had the had the meeting to sign with the Drinking Bros Network. Oh, cool. Oh, so I was feeling good. Yeah. And um, I was proud of myself. I'm at this party, and uh, on on a number of substances, and I, we go to like the VIP section, which is, it was in like this half demolished house. There's like holes through the wall with blankets over it. It wasn't like trashy looking. It was just like, ooh, it's like artsy. Oh, is this kind of off of Congress? It doesn't. No, it's like this house on the east side. Oh, okay. So this this house house. was getting burned down. I did this. I did an episode with the guy that was. It was his house the Uh day of. That night was like the last party. Gotcha. Before they demolished this house, and so he turned it into like an active art installation for two weeks. Wow. Um, knowing that it was going to get torn down and just put out open invites. That's some rich people shit. That's so dope as hell. So these parties were going like from like till 7 a.m. like for 14 days straight. Yeah. And uh, his name was Steve Yang. He was like a prior Marine. And I was like, I got to cool, meet dude. this dude. Hell yeah. And uh, so we're at this party just setting the Yeah, the so scene. I go in the, the VIP section, which is just a bunch of like blankets and pillows on the ground. In a bedroom. Very comfortable. It was a bedroom. Yeah, it was someone's bedroom. There's, there's like a desk with a computer on it. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, it is very important persons. <laughs> I remember at some point some girl was doing whippets and I was like, can I get one? She's like, tell me a joke. Oh, this is probably after that. And I was like, OK, actually telling jokes for whippets seems fair. Yeah, that is a form of payment. Incredible. So I was just dropping one liners on them and they're like, oh, shit, here you go. It's but, not uh, incest if you lose custody. <laughs> I, did, I did pull that one out. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that one, that's a fucking fucked up hilarious. That joke. joke makes me so mad because it never gets the response that it deserves because it's fucking hilarious. But it is a terrible thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, an absolutely heinous sentence. So you're doing drugs for whippets. So we're no, or this is jokes be- for this is this is before then. Okay. Um. So I'm laying down. I'm just chilling and, like, vibing. I'm not really talking to anyone. And um, Evan's sitting next to me. And me and Evan look very similar. So he's got that resting murder face, too. So I'm like, who's this angry guy, you know? I don't know if I should, like, start a conversation with him. Then this dude comes in. The most awkward, like, nerdy dude starts fanboying on Evan so hard. Because uh-huh. he used to be a trainer at On It. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm just flabbergasted because I'm like, why are you so excited that this guy works out? You saw him, you literally just saw him lift weights. <laughs> this is when I start perking up. Like, this is and he's be trying good. to be like, no, that wasn't me. That's not probably someone else. And then people keep coming up to Evan and being like, good job in your podcast. I'm so proud of you. And I'm just in that, like, I just got signed to a network. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a podcast champion. They don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the meme with the dude in the corner. Yeah. So th- this guy, this guy's so annoying to the point where he offers us cocaine, and we're both saying no, because we don't want to be in wow. having a conversation with him. And then he's like, "Come on, come on!" And I'm a drug addict, so eventually I do it. He 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 kind of puts it in my face and gives me like a fat key bump, and I snort it, and I'm like, "Woo!" And then he's like, "Take another," and I'm like. Okay, more free drugs, I guess. This fentanyl smells weird. <laughs> <laughs> These baby laxatives are cut with cocaine. 
So I, I take another one, and then he's like, you snort coke like a bitch. And me and Evan just look at each other like, what the fuck? Straight, like. And then I was just like, <laughs> what? And I was just like, dude, I could kick your ass. <laughs> and then he just, like, starts backpedaling. He's like, ah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> It was nice meeting you guys. You guys are super awesome. What an incredible human. I saw like, him at Vulcan not too long ago. That means that that guy's like, skill is that he can just do coke really good. Because I, I get that. Like He's actually I, a professional poker player. I can shotgun a beer in an obscenely fast amount of time. And any time that I have a chance to, to pull that out, it's a happy trick. So this guy's like a nerd that's like, I got this one trick in my bag. I can snort coke like a champ. I'm going to show my hero. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone that does coke says that. I, no, I don't think I'm good at it. My sinuses are terrible. That's like, how I choose my friends. If dude, somebody's too good at it, I'm like, no, can't <laughs> You're going to end up in rehab. <laughs> dude, I had- There's a middle ground. My first pot mentor when I was like 16, you know, you have like someone in their 20s that sells you pot and yeah. takes you under their wing. Like, hey, this is how you don't get caught by police. I remember the way he would put eye drops in is he would unscrew the lid and then, I mean, this is audio only, but you guys can see, he would just do like this. And it He's was waving just like, his hand from side side. It was just like a little motion where it looked like he was just rubbing his eyes. I've seen people do that before, and I thought they were just rubbing their eyes really smoothly. I didn't know they were putting in eye drops. Yeah, and it's like, dude, what is it, the Matrix? How are you fucking, boom, boom, like I'm done. Like, how? Oh, are these you? are anti-gravity visors. You gotta hold that shit up for like... Yeah, man. I could never do that shit. I look like I could never put an eye drop. I look like someone with Parkinson's trying to eat cereal. It's just like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> like this is gonna be a mess. And then why are you crying? It's not even the eye drops. Yeah. And then I miss, and it just gets in my eyelashes and it's streaming down my face. Oh, dude, I, feel I, like I have to fight the world on rotos. Yeah, dude, I was just about to say rotos. Those are the jam. Dude, sometimes, like when I get real high, I'll sit there with a, a bottle of rotos and I'll go through a whole bottle. It just one session. Like, <laughs> ah, ah, <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Each Sounds like a good thing to do at a rave. Like, I can see God. <laughs> They're so good. You're doing breath work. <laughs> You're Wim hoffing. So I always had this theory because I used to be pretty involved in like the self-improvement, motivational speaking kind of world, um, the Miracle Morning community specifically. Is that why you so hold like, a mic so good? Uh, like, maybe. So no, that's because he's mic. gay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's that. I'll just put it in my face. So no. where does your wife come in? Uh, <laughs> much later. She doesn't come, come in years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like a her problem. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, So I used to be involved with all of them, but the thing that was interesting is that all of these conventions I'd go to, there'd be these awesome speakers and great people, and then at the end of the night, most people would go to bed like 9, 10 o'clock, and there'd be me and a select hand few of other degenerates that would stay up till two or three partying at these self-improvement conferences. And that's where I found like my group of people. But as I strayed away from that and then like got into DMT, mm -hmm. I didn't know very many people with that crossover who were like super into self-help. Were you speaking at these engagements? Or you uh, just every now attending? and then. Yeah, sometimes. Okay. Um, it, speaking, leading workshops, doing like uh, like one-on-one -on -one consultation stuff. I think like one of the things that made my story unique is that I had like every opportunity afforded to me. Yeah. I had wealthy parents that loved me and supported me and everything that I did. And yeah. I was still miserable and suicidal and hated this planet because I had no idea why I was here, what my purpose was, like why I was doing that. And I had job after job and relationship and tried to see if I could fuck my way into feeling like I mattered yeah. and nothing worked. Like I could do all the drugs and all the drinking and nothing worked and sober didn't work. Speaking in 12 step programs didn't work. Like nothing ever felt like I was a real human being uh, until I started helping people. 
Yeah. And then when I was helping people, it was like, oh, this gives me some purpose. And then further past that, I found comedy. And then it was like, uh, I could told the turning point in my life where it was very specific because I went from uh, feeling like I just wanted to go to sleep and wake up in the future and not have to deal with this just monotony of the day to day to wishing I could go to sleep and wake up 10 years ago and start what I was doing sooner. So it's like, that's when I knew I found my purpose because the thing that I like toiled about in my stomach that could never happen was such a different thing. It's yeah. like, I wish I could have started comedy sooner rather than I wish I could find why I'm here. Mm-hmm. So I relate to that a lot. There's mm. a lightheartedness. The whole, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I get a lot no of that means that I expect to be here. Yeah. But I, I'm so glad we're here. And, you know, hearing your story like that, man, like you've got so much respect for. I think we all chose to be here in another dimension. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Probably. I don't know. We've talked at at nauseum about fucking our theories on the the whole not knowing why you're here or like we're never going to know the history of humanity or where we're going until it's too late. And Mm -hmm. that is that is the has been the overall persistent thought in my life that has led to all negative emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess I I kind of figured that out by just trying to to build skills and like learning to play music doing comedy when i started doing comedy i didn't realize i was doing comedy i just i didn't know how to make i didn't have friends growing up i didn't know how to make friends so i would write jokes to say like when i was in social situations and the first joke i ever wrote and what people would like say like yeah you fucking jew and so i w- sat down and wrote a bunch of like christian jokes mm. and the first joke I can remember writing is, uh, uh, why doesn't Jesus get drunk? Because he already got hammered. And that was in uh, fourth grade. It was hilarious back then. So a lot of parents called your parents? Oh, man. Did you, were you I'm, like... I'm sure. I blocked out most of my childhood. But. Yeah. Uh, dude, I, my parents were on like speed dial with the school. I was, were yeah. you, were you constantly in trouble? Yeah, dude. I just thought I was class clown. Yeah. For sure. Like, I got a kick out of that because I was just learning more about, like, I learned more about how to be social mm-hmm. in grade school than I did out of any book. Mm-hmm. You know, I picked up books later in life, thank God. Yeah. See, that was college um, for me. Yeah. I was kind of an See, emotional. I, to college. I was kind yeah. of an I, emotional I read, late bloomer. I went bloomer. to college, like, via literature, like, while I was in the Navy. And I read, like, a book or two a week. Yeah, you, know, you learned from semen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was I was pretty much there to make friends. I I didn't see myself getting a degree. I, I wanted to get as much knowledge as I could. And Where then was when this I was out like, in Cali, this is in Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara. Yeah, dude. I <laughs> my career Did you play path. Sports? Uh, I tried a bunch. I was always the worst on the team. Play basketball? No. Uh, at one point, yeah. I played every sport. My parents would like put me in shit. See, he was just a mean fucking rebounder, dude. Just dude, I was elbows. a I was a scrawny, Red weak like little kid. Might. I couldn't even cr- climb a fence. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you put on your your mask to become Octavius fucking Thunder? Uh, within the last like six years. That's second dude, that's puberty. A thing, that's a thing that a lot of <laughs> a lot of comedians out here look at me like I'm some I was some jock that has just kind of been like breezing through life, just being like cool and good looking or something and like better than everyone no, i'm just kidding I, just, I wanted to just go on and just list positive attributes about myself yeah. but um everyone's like god that guy has such a big hog his life's buff rule but no i was like i'm a fucking scrawny little nerd i want to be bigger so i got bigger so i'm just like a jew that nerdy jew that found steroids yeah dude i i resonate with that heavily you know like i mean 
just starting a business here in Austin and shit. And like people jump to conclusions. They see venues now and they're just like, yo, everybody's just fucking like, you know, daddy's rich buying him shit. You mm-hmm. know, cause like it's not this oil money out here, you know? And uh, there's so many people, so many creatives, so many artists, so many comedians I've met now that are just like so heavily on their grind because they're like socially aware of the opportunity that exists here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's just, it just points the finger that like, you don't know these people's stories. There's so much perception of like social media, mm-hmm. the way things look that people forget that they're fucking just regular fucking human beings. And until you sit down with them and get to hear their story of where they come from, you don't understand shit. Yeah. You yeah. Jump to conclusions. Dude, like, like a big a big turning point for me was when I was 14, I got sent to boarding school. Yeah. Uh for like 2 years. I didn't leave that place for 2 years. Uh it, it was shitty. It robbed me of my childhood uh whatever. Were you doing <laughs> drugs at this point? Uh I was literally just smoking weed. I yeah. wasn't a bad kid. Yeah. I didn't I don't think I was insane until like after this. Yeah. But um <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's probably not true. I've probably always been insane. But um so it was like an emotional growth boarding school. So they had group therapy. It was actually really fucked up. There's a lot of like mind control shit. Like if you look up like CIA uh, mind control, like depri- food depri- uh, food and sleep deprivation and like these like absurd rules and uniforms stuff, they, they were doing all that shit. So At your school? Yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. shit they do in jail to they like got, dehumanize you. But they were like nice about it. Like they were like, yeah, no, it's okay. Just let me put my dick in you kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, no one got raped there. I'm sure they did. I mean, every girl actually yeah. got raped, but it was before they got there. Yeah. So it was just a bunch of, like, fucked up kids. And um, we had group therapy three times a week where people would just fucking open up about their deepest, darkest insecurities, which I never partook in because I was like, why would I tell all these people? It's pretty incredible to witness. Dude, yeah. it, cha- it changed I, my I life. because more schools should have Because I grew up yeah. thinking that, like, everyone else had something special about them, and I didn't have anything. Everyone had this going for them. This guy has this, and I I had nothing. Like I was just <coughs> I was just nobody. And then when I realized in group therapy that not only did everyone feel that, but everyone felt more than that. And my problems weren't even that bad compared to most people's. So, did so you that's just create why create a bunch of empaths. What? Yeah, <laughs> you create a bunch of empaths by doing that. Because now you have setting. like I don't have empathy. You, you have don't? some. I think I'm incapable. No, because you haven't killed your dog. <laughs> you love him. Uh, yeah, well, you care about his well-being. Out, uh, but, um, yeah, so that's why ever since then I've just li- been living my life like, oh, I'm not going to worry about people judging me for this shit because I know they're judging themselves about it even more. Yeah. So it really took away that fear, and it gave me a sense of confidence that, like, I I knew, like, I had it, my eyes were open a little bit more to who people really were. Yeah, well, I think there's there's so much truth in finding out that, like, often what we dislike about someone the most is usually what we dislike about ourselves the most. And you start seeing that, and that's where, like, people become your mirrors of their mm-hmm. perfections, and you start not liking people. And man, I was, yeah, I was actually you, saying... Like, start to step up and confront that, and you probably realized this early on because you didn't partake in that shit. You saw how, like, kind of fucking fake it could be. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what saved you. You know, bro, that edible's kicking in. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say. That's uh, amazing. I was, I was talking earlier about what, what were you saying about fuck. I know, I, dude, what you were <laughs> saying we're earlier though podcast. about like people's uh, perception—it's really interesting because if you look at me and Eli, uh, 
like you would assume that he was like the jock that did yeah. all the sports and stuff, especially because he fights and stuff now. Yeah. And then you see me that's just like, you know, the drucky blonde guy chills with his wife. But like I dude, I played football yeah. uh, from a very young age. My career plans were I was going to go into politics. Mm. So, no. so like my wow. senior year of high school, I worked in like John McCain's campaign and like my my one of my first Facebook profile pictures is like me with John McCain, and then I went to a college in Virginia to play Division three football and get a government and foreign affairs degree. What so, college? Uh, Hampton Sydney. It's a little bitty all guys school in the middle of nowhere, but it was like the tenth rated uh, yeah, liberal arts school. Bit. Yeah, if, uh, if me and Mike were friends in high school, we or we wouldn't have been. He would have terrorized me. Yeah, I would have bullied him for sure. Uh, but it's it's so because I. That was Even part more of than so than now. Like my <laughs> that was part of like my big breakdown then was I went to college to go and try and be this thing and I was taking Just all these classes and doing and all of this football and shit and like I'm friends with a senator's son and I'm supposed to be like networking but also enjoying my childhood and then I'm also like uh I, I was big into Ed Hardy and like affliction <laughs> so I'm like wearing all that stuff and going to frat parties with guys in like vineyard vines and Sperry's. And they're calling me names like, you're fucking gay. And it's like, I'm, I'm doing this to fuck chicks. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I'm dressing cool for ladies. You know, <laughs> like, how's that gay? And, you know, I just got into lots of fights. I was miserable that whole time. And it's so just, where where did these expectations come from? You think it was just like seeing that your dad was doing something important or valuable? Yeah, I mean, that was like definitely a big part of it. For that? My So, like, I have a lot of, uh, like, generational uh influence there my great-great-grandfather made the blue bonnet the state flower mm -hmm. like there's uh if you go to like plymouth in massachusetts there's uh the story of uh samuel eaton which is one of the guys that came over the mayflower that's like my direct like i'm a direct descendant of him like we've been hugely where my dad was a fourth generation dallas lawyer so it's just like there's uh kind of and especially like the dallas fort worth area there's this very weird um it's, it's hard to explain, but it's stilted, and there's, like, expectations about how you are to act. Mm -hmm. uh, very, like, southern business, and there's, like, a lot of unspoken rules and yeah. expectations. So, like, if you don't, if you come from a family of wealth and power and significance with a name that people know, and then you don't do anything, like, you bring shame to your whole family. Like, I'm essentially, like, a Japanese kid or something. That sounds you know? like <laughs> all of D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. Yeah, oh, 100%. That, that makes shit. sense. Yeah, it's just, like, super, like, who's who, like, who do you work for as far as politicians. And it's a nightmare. It's like, yeah. And, like, at that level, it was, like, being an intern was, like, all that because it was for someone else important. It yeah. Was, it was a trip. Dude, and I fucking hate that we do that to 18-year-olds because I think, like, back to, like, the stuff I was interested in and, like, the things I wanted to learn and the classes I enjoyed. Like, I had a teacher, I remember, in a government class, and on the first day of class, uh, he pulled out his syllabus and he passed it out and he said, this is what you're going to need to make it through this semester. And then he pulled out a handle of liquor and was like, this is what I'm going to need to make it through this semester. And we all laughed. And then he would just be drinking from, like, a fifth of Kentucky gentlemen during class, just quoting Kissinger. And he was so – he ran the fire department on campus. He was such a cool dude. But he made it so that it was interesting what you were learning about. Wow. And then – and, like, anything he talked about, I was like, oh, that's fucking fascinating. I was like, oh, I want to do more of this. But instead, like, in my head, it's like, well, this is just one elective that you get to take to try and get to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Like, what you're supposed to be doing. And it's like, why am I supposed to? Because they said so. Yeah. Well, then, and then you start to break down. I'm like, like, who's they? 
what like why am I doing this? What does this do for me? Yeah, like you're reading fuck. this system. Yeah, and then you're like, I'm not. A, I don't want to be in this machine anymore. No, I had a Spanish yeah. teacher. In so you started listening grade. to Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, and rebelling. Yeah, man. Rap music. Yeah, I knew you were a brother of mine. Yeah, dude. I had a Spanish teacher in seventh grade. See, and I'd say, <laughs> I'd say about seventy percent of the classes were was him just talking about the meaning of life. He wasn't even teaching Spanish, and it was awesome. That's super bueno. <laughs> and then one time I found a puddle of mercury on one of the seats, and I was playing with it all class. What? <laughs> I don't know. I just remember this. I'm high as fuck. And yeah. then the, the teacher came over and was like, what are you doing? I was like, I found mercury. And he's like, no, that's solder. Yeah. And I was like, it's liquid. Yeah. And he's like, did you kill the silver surfer? I remember one time he, like, crossed his arms, and he looked around. We all sat down. Class was beginning. He's like, What's the purpose of life? And then he points at a student. And then one kid's just like, uh, to, to reproduce? Okay. How about you? Hell yeah. <laughs> and that, that was the best doing class. good shit now. Oh, I did sure. not learn that Spanish from was. that class. Kids. Yeah, yeah, that's a smart kid. I didn't learn that until I was like in my 20s. No, that was a teacher. Dude, I, oh, he said that? Reproduction? Oh, the, oh that kid, I yeah. The, yeah, that's, that's a good response. I want to touch on one more thing. Hell yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the focus of my podcast has been, you know, specific to different industries that are kind of you know what's the current state of here in austin and uh you know coming home it's apparent that you know a comedy scene is developing here in austin that wasn't present prior to me leaving you know mm. which was you know almost seven years ago now a little over and uh you know we had very few comedy clubs we had cap city that used to be i forget what cap city used to be called but so it's very interesting because I've had that question posed like, you know, wow, Austin has a comedy scene now. And it's interesting. I started comedy, uh, like really actually started doing because I did a handful of open mics, like literally a handful uh, before this. But in May of 2018 was when I was like, all right, stand up's my shit. I'm going to do this and pour all my eggs in this basket. I moved here in 2015, but uh, or 2016, somewhere in there. But so. Austin had like kind of a comedy scene then, but it was Cap City, and then if you were a big headliner, you went to Paramount or Stateside, and then there's the Velveeta Room downtown, and then there was you know a handful of open mics. But if you wanted to get discovered by a comedy industry, you had to win Funniest Person in Austin, the Cap City contest, uh, and you had to do Moon Tower Comedy Festival, which has been here for a while, which is uh, like one of the biggest comedy festivals in the world. So that that was like the thing, but if you wanted to get discovered, you you know you still needed to be in one of the major cities. And so Austin was always in the talks for being like the third city. Maybe it's Chicago, maybe it's you know Atlanta. You know where's the third city? You never know. But now with you know part of it was Joe Rogan moving here that brought a bunch of L.A. talent in. Uh, also, he's so mainstream. As much as people talk shit on him, and whatever your opinions on him, it's, it, whoever's opinions that are listening to this, it's fine. They're irrelevant. He's good for comedy because he brings more attention to the art form. Like, even if you don't like his style of it, because of him being here, a bunch of people to do a completely opposite style are getting stage time. You know, so like that came. Uh, Cap City shutting down uh, created this new open playground for people with money to create comedy businesses and it's now they've got a huge market for it so like big laugh comedy network started up and they're doing stuff at vulcan and other venues uh and you know then you have the creek in the cave uh moves here from new york and they pair up with local comedians and now they have you know amazing stuff coming through there there's the sunset strip 
which was a venue that was primarily music beforehand. And yeah, then, that's where you know, we first met. Yeah, and then a couple guys came through and made that into a dope comedy venue. And now we've got, I mean, people, there's places popping up almost every day yeah. that are bars now doing comedy shows. So yeah, like this one. Yeah, dude, here. I mean, like this, like we've had so many good experiences here and it's so cool because uh, there's so much space for every different kind of comedy. Like this room is very unique because when it's all packed in, you it's get a very intense. intimate feel. Yeah, and you have people's heads right at crotch height. It's like sex. Yeah, yeah, and awkward sex. And this crowd is as much as they are uh, like socially conscious, mm-hmm. like they are empathetic. Also and so learning. some of their yeah. jokes, like if you are too mean in a joke that would work at a comedy club, here they're like, oh, you can't. That's not nice. Like that, that joke hurts someone, and you're like, no, 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 laugh, and then it doesn't. <laughs> if you laugh, this doesn't hurt anybody. Like you're yeah. making it mean. Like yeah. chill. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Austin, Austin has been uh, real good to me and and everyone in mm-hmm. it. I think, but uh, I I know the podcast has a big focus on the Austin community. Oh, we ate too many edibles prior to this podcast. I really enjoyed this experience with Mike and Eli, um, but I forgot to plug my computer in. Um, so we lost a little bit of audio, so I'm going to go ahead and close this one out. Um, if you would like to see these guys live here at Easy Studio, we're doing a show this Saturday night, November 20th. Doors open up about 9 p.m. It's going to be a good time. We'll get some drinks flowing and get some good laughs in with these guys. Um, come out, see the Giggle Boys. Make sure to follow them on Instagram. You can follow their podcast at Giggle Boys, which is a part of the Drinking Bros Network. You can also follow Mike Eaton at just that, his name, and Eli at Castburgers. All right, so go show these guys some love, and we'll see you next time. And I'll try not to fuck up any more of these episodes. Big love. Catch you soon. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.